All right, this morning, I have a question. What does it mean that God is going to make everything new? As we've studied the book of Revelation together in our accidental series, um, we somehow stumbled into this, but we've kept it going now for, what, five months or something, so here we go. Uh, We're nearly there, right? But we've seen the drama of the story play out over and over again. We have seen a surprising amount of plagues and judgment and evil defeated. We've also seen a lot of really victorious moments and big celebrations and not just a few worship concerts, right? The whole book of Revelation is really just a worship uh, concert. It's a worship, uh, a worship book. There's a whole lot of encouraging us to keep our eyes on the lamb, to not get distracted by the beast. It's this insistence that we remain loyal to Jesus and to not pledge allegiance to the world. It's all been otherworldly, a little bit dramatic. It has had the makings of a really good sci-fi series. It's been different than the images of heaven the world has used and put in our heads, but nothing has appeared to be new or made new. But now, Satan has been thrown into a lake of fire. That was last week's message. Along with the false prophet and the beast and the books have been opened, the last judgment has been administered and the wedding has taken place between the church, the bride, and the lamb. So chapter 21 opens and telling us that John saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. But what does it mean that they're new? The whole story of the Bible begins with creation. We're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Isaiah chapter 45, we're told that God has made the earth and has continued to concern himself with all manner of things having to do with how the world works. For this is what the Lord says, that he who created the heavens, he is God. And he who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited, he says. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I've not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth and I declare what is right. Because God didn't create the world to just be beautiful but empty. He desired for it to be inhabited by us, his people. But he also didn't just create us, put us on earth, and walk away. He isn't speaking to us from some distant place, from a distance God is watching and hiding and lurking, waiting for us to mess up just so he can exact judgment. He's found by those who seek him. He's present with us in our world, the very world he created. But he already made the heavens, the earth, and all of us, though. So what does it mean that he is making it all new? There are other scriptures where God seems to change creation or reverse it. There was once a battle when Joshua was leading the people of Israel and they marched all night and then hailstones came from heaven as if God were fighting on their behalf using hailstones. Uh, And then the sun stood still in the sky for an entire day so they could see to fight the battle. And when you created the sun, the sky, the moon, and hailstones, you can do that. 
Uh, other times, God withheld rain. Once, then, he even flooded the entire world as a sort of a restart, but it wasn't a new earth. The plagues and exodus are also a reversal of creation. Darkness reigning instead of day and night. Locusts destroying vegetation, which God had told the land to produce since the third day of creation. But again, reversing isn't making all things new. It's sort of just changing things. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul tells us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation is waiting to be renewed. Even creation recognizes that things are broken and in need of salvation. Creation wants to be made new. But what does it mean? What does it mean for there to be a new heaven and a new earth? Is it a new creation? Is it simply that this time we can all try again to be better this go around? This time God will create an earth where Adam and Eve won't sin. Is it going back and starting again? Has this just all been an experiment gone wrong? Good hypothesis, but your result was not what we expected. So let's try again, right? Um, also, I have no idea about how to do apothesis or research or anything else, but <laughs> we're going to figure that out because that's the chapter that's due tomorrow. Okay, so <sighs> research methodology. What now? Uh, but if everything is new, then that includes us because we are part of everything God has already made. So we must be included in the new. And if we're new, then it can't be going back or a do-over or a try again because then the readers of Revelation from John's day until us sitting here today wouldn't have nothing to hope in because it wouldn't even affect us. We'd just be gone if it meant starting over. So no, it seems that cannot be what it means for God to make all things new. Maybe what it means is that something will be fixed or restored, that what was broken or what was keeping us from real, close, uninterrupted relationship with God will be destroyed. Because for one thing, when John sees in chapter 21 that there's a new heaven and a new earth, he immediately notices something else. The sea is gone. In Revelation chapter 4, we were told that there was a crystal sea. It was before the throne, but it was seemingly holding us back from fully approaching that throne. In other places, we find the sea is the place where evil comes from. There's a dragon standing on the shore of the sea in chapter 13. The beast comes out of the sea. It's also the place then in chapters 19 when we're talking about Babylon representing the empire and evil. It's the place then where uh, trade and commerce happen. There's a sea captain in that chapter. It symbolized this idolatrous worship of money and empire and success. The sea was also a representation of the old creation. God had made the sea, and he made everything that was in it in Genesis. And we've seen this literal sea throughout the book of Revelation. In chapter 19, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. So the sea has been this natural boundary. It's been part of the old creation. It's been a place where evil has come from, a way for idolatrous trade to take place, and it's been a place of death. But when God makes everything new, it appears that separation and evil and idolatry and death are no longer represented. So is that what it means when God makes all things new? Because there must be a reason the sea is gone. 
I mean, no more death or no more threat of evil in our world. That would certainly be wonderful. A world where death no longer reigns, where evil is destroyed, where Jesus is truly king and rules with justice and righteousness. That is new. But what does it mean for God to make everything new? I was at a graveside committal last week with my dad, and I attend a lot of funerals, uh, but I don't always go to the graveside because, to be honest, I'm not a big cemetery person, which makes me an oddity in the Taylor family because they love a good cemetery. <laughs> but <clears throat> I know that you read from, you read from Revelation 21 that day, and I know that you do that at plenty of other times. And you read then about the sea being gone and he told them the story about the time when I was in missions and I was living in Ireland, I'd been in a car accident, him getting a call that I was fine, but, and realizing he was separated from me by large sea. And namely, that sea was the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it reminded me though of a flip side of that story and of me being in Romania when you were rushed back into the hospital um, after surgery for a kidney cancer and there was blood and there was bleeding and there was a lot of bleeding and we were all very, very concerned because they couldn't get that bleeding stopped. And you weren't doing well, and I was eight time zones away, separated by an entire continent and ocean and half of America. The sea was separating me from those that I loved, and I kept calling back trying to figure out, do I fly home, do I stay, what do I do, what do, what do I do? And nobody could tell me uh, because I'll have to make that decision for myself. But I don't wanna make that decision for myself, someone just tell me what to do, right? And it was frustrating to me because there was this thing that was separating me from the place that I really wanted to be in the place that I thought I needed to be. And it felt like it was just so far away. But imagine if the sea was gone and the direct flight was possible. Imagine if nothing separated me from getting home. If nothing separated me from being in the place where I wanted to be and where I wanted and longed to be with the people that I loved. Imagine, because if it would have made the difference as I tried to figure out all of my options, if nothing was separating me from standing there. But John can imagine. Because when all things are made new, even the sea is gone. There's nothing separating us at all. But again, what does it mean for everything to be made new and not just different? You see, the prophet Isaiah had envisioned this day hundreds of years earlier. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. And never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a 100 will be considered accursed. They'll build houses in this new heaven and new earth, and they'll dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and have others eat from it. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people, and my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, 
nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they even call, I have already answered. While they're still speaking, I'll hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Isaiah is writing before Israel is taken into exile, but he's already anticipating their return when God will create something new, a place so incredible that all former troubles that they had endured, like exile and captivity and a place far from where God's glory dwelt, would no longer even be remembered. There would be a new city, a new Jerusalem that would be built, and it would bring joy, and in it people wouldn't weep or cry or mourn ever again. Babies would never die prematurely. Old people would remain young. They'd put down roots and watch them grow. They'd be productive. Their work would have meaning. They would have descendants and a legacy. And before the people would even speak, God would have already heard and was prepared with an answer. And the craziest part was that wolves and lambs would just be eating out of the same bowl without a care in the world. Predators would not exist and peace would reign. This is definitely new. Israel had not seen this before. We have not seen this before. But then, as the people of Israel, they must have been so excited, living in anticipation that this is what was going to happen. This was going to all be new when they returned from captivity and exile. And then they came back, and they read it again, and they read it again after they had begun to rebuild and then they read it again as the next generation and they read it again as the one after that and the one after that and as we read it today we think but babies still die in our day and parents still have to bury children and we've still seen people grow old and die and wolves and lambs do not eat from the same bowl and peace does not reign and we are still toiling and working in vain so this isn't new after all. It was a new and beautiful idea, but our reality is that life after exile is just more of the same. And the people in Isaiah's day must have been as confused as we are reading it. Unless, unless what Isaiah saw is still to come for all of us. You see, in Isaiah, God said, I will do this. See, I will create. 24 times, God says, I will. But John watches in chapter 21 and hears God proclaim, I am making everything new. I am presently doing it, and John is watching it in real time. And then God said, I have done it. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was present in Genesis. He was at work in Isaiah, and he was finished in Revelation. It's done. I have been, I am, and I will forever be with my people, but it's all new. 
And so we begin again at the beginning of Revelation 21, and we ask, what does it mean that God makes everything new? John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea separating us. And then he saw a holy city. It was that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now and forever among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order has passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The sea is gone, and with it the difficulties and the battle against evil and death and idol worship. A new city has come down. Remember that the new city Isaiah saw would be a delight and a joy. It would be a place where God would rejoice over his people and take great delight in them. Why would he do so? Because he has forever connected himself to his people. He's created a forever covenant to be with them, to protect them, to care for them, to provide for them, to rescue them and defend them and enjoy them. It's why he set it all up as a picture of marriage for us to see. That's why your marriages are important that we can all look at and see that's the kind of covenant that God has made with his people. You're messing up the picture when you don't love your spouses the way God intended. This is what it's supposed to look like. It's a covenant with us. He says, Jesus, the lamb has entered into a covenant of marriage with us as his people and God's dwelling place will now and forever be with us. He will be with us in ways we've never fully been able to understand because what we've only believed by faith, that deposit that came when the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of us at the moment of salvation, we now see by sight as we gaze upon our God and the lamb forever dwelling with us and delighting over us. And in his presence, peace reigns, and wolves and lambs and ox and lions are all present at the same time. Sure, they've been there all along. The creatures around the throne in chapter 4, one looked like an ox, one looked like a lion, and the lamb was on the throne. God has made everything new which means we've been made new and our bodies won't decay or grow old or die because there in the new heaven and the new earth, babies will live a hundred years old. Are you kidding me? That's nothing. What a youngster. We won't be saying goodbye or grieving the loss of young, of loved ones. All the tears that we have shed between now and that day will all be wiped away and they will be remembered by us no more. We'll call and God will 
answer. You know why? Because he's right there, present with us. We'll work with our hands and it will mean something. We'll enjoy our labor because the curse is gone too. The old order of things is gone and it's all new. So what does it mean? It means everything God has promised has come true. It means everything God had intended way back in the very beginning has now been realized. It isn't a do-over, a reset, or a clean slate. It's just all new. It's not just different. It isn't life 2.0, an update to work out the bugs or give us a few fixes. It's not even the same life just with a fresh coat of paint. It's just all new. It's everything God has desired, a place where he could dwell with his people, where we would live and work for his glory and to bring him worship. It's new because it's joy and peace at levels we can't even begin to comprehend. It's new because the Jesus we've known here is still there, but without distraction or temptation or doubt. What does it mean? It means heaven and earth and us have been redeemed. But look at verse 7 quickly. Those who overcome are the ones who will inherit all this. I'll be their God and they'll be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. The promise of verse 3 is repeated in verse 7. The dwelling of God with his people, the promise to be our God and for us to be his children, it's actually only given to those who overcome. All the new we just described at the beginning of this chapter and realized from Isaiah is only available to those who overcome. Those who overcome are those who have kept their eyes on the Lamb. They're those who have remained committed to the Lamb and to His Word, who have taken up their cross and followed Him regardless of anything else that called out for their attention or their allegiance. Those who have overcome the empire and the beast and the pseudo-Lamb, they have been made new. They now have new resurrected bodies and are about to step into a new heaven and and a new earth that has also been redeemed and made new by the death and blood of the Lamb who is Jesus. But there are those who will not inherit, who have chosen for themselves not to be made new and have held on to that old order. The cowardly suggests an empty faith, a faith that when push came to shove wasn't really there at all. That when times got tough and it was no longer easy to serve the Lamb, they bailed. They stopped believing or they decided they had no faith to live by and certainly not a faith to die by. And the other things that are listed there, they're all kind of connected to empire and to Babylon and to idolatry. Because if you don't fear God, all those things become really easy to do. It's easy then to set up your own God, to worship things, right? It's no big deal then. I can set up an idol of anything I want to worship, right? I can worship people. I can worship relationships. I can worship wealth. I can put any of these things ahead because I've just made the God that I wanted to worship. And if you do that, then it's really easy to believe that people are disposable. Murder? What does it matter if I've taken a life? I don't see the dignity in every human person. I don't see that God has put his image in everyone. So therefore, murder means nothing. The sexually immoral, meaningless sex, if I've worshipped sex, that's my God. Well, then I can be as immoral as I want to be because I'll never be satisfied when I worship the God of sex. 
vile, disgusting things can be said or done when I have made this my God. Rape and abuse, all sorts of things then take place here. I live for myself and no one else. And if we make these things our God, it leads down such a terrible path. And finally, then it says liars. Specifically, liars then will not inherit either. And in a place where the way and the truth and the life powers the city and is the center of all that takes place, you can see why liars cannot enter. The father of lies, Satan, has already been sent to a lake of fire and burning sulfur, and now we're told that his children will join him. Now, I'm not sure what color hymnal this song was in, but, sorry, how many times can we mention a red hymnal uh, in these sermon series? I don't even know what the red hymnal is. I think this was in the green one, but the 90s children, though, we all knew a song that came from Revelation 21.8, right? Uh, it was real catchy. It was about liars go to hell, liars go to hell. I believe it ended with burn, burn, burn. It was not a hopeful song. It lacked context. It offered no plan of redemption, but I think it certainly got its point across. But this, to be clear, is the old order. And Jesus has come to make all things new, including people who formerly lived this way. God has come to redeem all people, even murderers and those who have lived and made immoral choices. God has come to make all things new, including those who formerly lived like this. In Revelation 21, we see that God has done all that he said he would do. We can take it to the bank. It's trustworthy and true. God will make all things new. And though through Jesus, he has redeemed this old order. Redemption through Jesus has made the heavens, the earth, all of creation, you and me, all those who have overcome, we've all been made new. However, we don't live in Revelation 21, not yet. We don't live in the new heavens and the new earth. All things have not yet been made new. We live in hope that God will make all things new, but it's not here yet. And so what do we do? How do we keep living while hoping? So let me share two quick things, and you're still going to get to Sunday school on time. Number one, we labor in the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote about the resurrection of our bodies in 1 Corinthians 15, and that when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise. At that resurrection, standing with Christ will victoriously announce at that point, where, O oh, death, is your sting? And then the very next words that Paul says are, Therefore, dear, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so what do we do while we wait and hope for God to make all things new? We keep working for the Lord. We aren't waiting around doing nothing between now and God making all things new. We aren't just waiting around to escape this wicked world so that we can live in the new heaven and new earth, but we are actively participating in life on this earth. N.T. Wright wrote, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, it'll last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it all behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. And in this way, we bring 
signs and symbols of the new heaven and the new earth into this one to point others towards a future reality. And so when we fight for justice in places where there is injustice, when we engage in our communities, when we speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, when we make sure that the hungry are fed or that the homeless have shelter, when we make sure that kids who have no one to look out for them find care in Christian foster homes, when we understand that systems which endanger and hurt and discriminate are torn down, we then begin to understand that we are pointing to a future reality. Because when God makes all things new, he'll remake it all with justice and righteousness. And so we point to it now by standing for it here. And we celebrate the goodness of God. We celebrate the beauty of his creation and the things that we produce. We work to bring him glory. Work was assigned by God in the Garden of Eden before sin entered. Work is what Isaiah envisions the people in the new heaven and the new earth still doing. We do our work with excellence because it's all for God's glory. And our labor in that way is not in vain. We create to bring him glory. We worship to bring him glory. Because when we do, when we work for his glory, when we make the world beautiful through our artistic gifts like the choir music this morning from these students, when we do that, we're pointing to a day when God makes all things new and none of our work will be in vain and creativity and beauty will surround us and worship will be the sound on our lips. And as we wait and hope, we announce already the good news of Jesus. You see, Easter Sunday is coming in just a few uh, quick months, but Easter Sunday celebrates that day that we see what all things new will look like. Jesus rising from the dead. Easter morning is the start of God making all things new. And we announce to everyone through our words and our actions that Jesus is king and his kingdom has already been established. And then we do, and when we do, we point to a day when God will make all things new, including us. We give ourselves fully to the Lord is the last and second point. We devote ourselves to worship, singing in times of praise, but also the worship that comes from a life surrendered to the Lord. We see that in our commitment just to be here at church, not because attendance purposes, but because we need to be a part of the life of the church, the encouragement that we are to one another, serving each other, serving, uh, serving our kids in the art park or upstairs. We do this together. We're here and we're worshiping. We gather together and we point to the day when God will dwell among his people forever. We come together on Sundays and we join around the communion tables and we come together announcing that Jesus' blood and his body are how God will make all things new. It's the closest that we come on this earth to the new earth and the new heaven and God making all things new. We proclaim that message every time we come to the Lord's table together and we'll keep proclaiming it until we're seated with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And then we keep praying and we keep believing. Jesus taught us how our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we invite Jesus to establish his kingdom in us and in our home and in our community or in a hospital room or standing with a grieving family or on our job, we're inviting him to come and to begin to make all things new in us. And so here's my final question as we go to prayer. In what way is your life serving as a signpost to the new heaven and new earth and the day when God will make all things new. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. How is my life pointing others to you? 
Lord, maybe there's something today that you're calling me to, to continue to labor for you, to continue, Lord, to do things with excellence so that my boss or, or my coworkers will see there's something different in the way that they work. And when I work for your glory, it points people to that day when you'll make all things new and nothing will be in vain. Maybe, Lord, there's something that you're asking us to do to, to bring hope and encouragement to someone. You're asking us to do something really, really specific, Lord. Maybe it's just something that we, if we felt uncomfortable doing, getting out of our, 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 uh, our, our comfort zone. Maybe, Lord, it was to step into our local school to be a reading partner. Maybe it was something big or something, Lord, like, like becoming foster parents. Or, or maybe it's something, Lord, even just about a future call to missions or, or to full-time ministry. Or maybe there are others today that are being called into worship ministry because of the, the, the gifts that were on display this morning from the choir. I don't know what you're asking us to do, Lord, but in every way, Lord, may we live our life so that it is a signpost to other people that this life is not all that there is, and we still long and wait in hope that you are going to make all things new, that everything you said in Isaiah will be realized in Revelation. May it be, Lord Jesus. May it be, Lord Jesus. May it be, Lord, come and make all things new. But while we wait in hope for that day, would you help us, Lord, to begin to point people, point people in that direction. Use us, Lord, to be a signpost, to point to the future. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. just and righteous in all of his ways and in all of his doings and the promises of God are certain they're true they're yes and amen so rest in them today and let your heart find its resting place in the good and faithful God and in his faithful word and promises rest in him and then invite others to find and experience that deep rest that is found only in the Savior Jesus Christ Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. What a great word to our heart. What wonderful music this morning. I've only got one complaint. Where's, where's, where's the dock? Okay. Next service, when you start that first one, I think we need a little reprise on that, uh, uh, you know, on the eyes on the spirit when the two young ladies are out there when we got that going on I think we can I think we can do that again if you want to stay after Sunday school and just come in to hear the music again you're going to be blessed but what a great word to to our hearts this morning well may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen amen go in his grace and mercy we'll see you Wednesday night or next Sunday morning or you can follow the choir. I don't know where they're going to be next. But, uh, yeah, they'll be back here at 11. So God bless you.